0: Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer Jeff Maines.
1: Welcome back to the Sassfield Podcast, where we test the limits of entrepreneurial endurance by having SaaS founders listen to the world's most annoying song over and over and over again on repeat. So, I don't know. What song is it? You tell me. What is the most annoying song in the world? Well, I am your host, Jeff Mains. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. We create capital-efficient growth, premium valuation, and freedom so that you build a business that you're proud of without sacrificing your family on the altar of MRR. I had a great time at SaaStock last week and heard some fantastic speakers. You know, I think I knew every company in the SaaS space. And yes, I, I do know there are new ones all the time. And there were some of the usual suspects there, but San Francisco Tech Week was going on as well. And walking in there, I had not heard of 80% of the companies, which I really, really enjoyed. You know, there were some really good ideas there. There were a few bad ideas. Uh, some were really well thought out and executed and others that, that are just doomed. And not because the idea is flawed, but because their marketing message is completely muddled. You know, I figured out what some of them did and, you know, I just gave up on a few of them. And I'd say that 20% Really had their message dialed in. And half of those, the founder could articulate it really well, but the other people, even there, couldn't do a great job. And so, you know, if you aren't 100% confident that you could explain what you do to your grandma so that she gets it, reach out and let's fix that because it's really sad for a company not to, to go anywhere and not be really successful. Just because of something simple like that, that, that they don't have their marketing message dialed in and don't really understand, somebody doesn't understand what they do. Yeah, you know, I talked to several companies in the health tech space, uh, run a fintech in healthcare. So that's something that I always want to hear about. Even met a potential partner company, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, we're at the intersection of two fascinating and rapidly evolving worlds, being that that's healthcare and technology. And you know, it's not an add-on or a sprinkle of high-tech glitz over traditional methods. Instead, it's a deep transformative shift in healthcare that's revolutionizing how care is delivered and experienced. And from the patient's living room to the doctor's office, from preventative care to critical diagnosis, technology is reshaping literally every facet of the healthcare journey. I mean, think about the adoption of telemedicine over the last few years. I mean, that innovation alone Is just ending geographical and accessibility barriers. You know, it's bringing high quality care into homes and remote areas that maybe didn't have it before. You know, it's healthcare on demand, you know, when we need it, when we want it uh, right from wherever we are, you know, matching the pace of our fast moving lives. And, you know, there's the digital connection of society as a whole. And it's far better experience for most of us. And because it seemed like, you know, when years ago, my kids would be sick. It was always like, you know, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving and it's not, nobody's going to be open till Monday again. So, I mean, just crazy. So it's, it's really making a far better experience for, for the majority of us. And, and I think for the providers as well, because you're able to serve more patients, they are able to service better and from wherever they are. So if somebody has downtime in some other state, then, then they can talk to me here and, and vice versa. So. I think that that's a really cool thing. Add to that the proliferation of wearable technology. I mean, whether it's something, you know, watches or rings, you know, health apps, which are empowering patients in real time to know what's going on with their own health. I think that's a really cool thing. And it's not limited to just those devices. They're implantables as well. Talk to some people who are doing some really amazing things in that space. But the, the key is that the tools are fostering proactive healthcare. And it's enabling early intervention and making preventative care a feasible reality. That's one of the things we're going to talk about today with our guest. Uh, AI. Who can leave out AI, especially in today's market? But artificial intelligence, too, is carving its path with algorithms that can sift through mountains and mountains and mountains of data, uncover platforms, and assist with a diagnosis and treatment plans. The result is an increase in service levels and improved patient experiences, making healthcare more efficient, personalized, and most importantly, patient-centric. And as we dive into today's discussion, let's not forget the core of healthcare, which is unequivocally human connection at its core. I mean, that's what it's all about. The goal of integrating technology in healthcare can never, ever replace the personal touch, but it should absolutely enhance it and free up medical pros To focus on what they do best. And that is to give patients the care they deserve instead of being buried in mundane tasks and toilet paper, (laughs) toilet paper, Uh, paperwork. Sometimes it feels like toilet paper, Uh, but paperwork and coding and, and all the garbage and bureaucracy that comes along with that. And, but it's really for them, it's about patient experience. That's what they got into medicine for in the beginning and what they're great at. So as we journey further into this new era of healthcare, let's explore, learn, and continue to innovate. Because of the heart of this technological revolution, it's about creating healthier, happier human experiences. Our sponsor today is a health tech company, and that is Intelligent Contacts. Do patients love the care experience but hate billing and finance within your organization? Well, then let's fix that. Elevate the entire patient experience to be amazing. Poor communication and lack of understanding are common complaints in the healthcare industry, especially when it comes to billing. Traditional tools don't work, and even the newer EMR systems, it's an afterthought at best. They're really concerned with the the records themselves, not all the financial stuff around them. Intelligent Contacts puts patients at the center of communications, allowing providers to easily connect with them using each patient's channel of choice and delivering self-service options, whether it's over the phone or online, that put the patient in control of their financial responsibility. Simple, understandable, and on their terms, while at the same time, providers enjoy scalable, easy to use, and integrated with many tech stacks. Uplevel your patient experience with Intelligent Contacts. You can learn more at IntelligentContacts.com. Our expert guest last week was Sam Baker, principal at Scale Venture Partners. Sam talked about the future of SaaS and gave the state of the market and unique perspective from a capital partner. My favorite part was about go-to-market repeatability. It's absolute gold. And our founder last week was Melissa Kwan, co-founder and CEO of eWebinar, just is an automated webinar solution that combines pre-recorded video with real-time interactions and live chat to deliver an engaging experience for attendees. Super, super sharp founder who's built a business that she runs, it doesn't run her, and she built it that way on purpose, which is way cool. Too often, founders get stuck in their business, so there are lots of lessons learned there. So good. So if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen for sure. My guest this week is Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari, MD. He is the CEO of both E7 Health and U.S. Drug Test Centers and the host of Bakhtari, MD. It's a great podcast. E7 Health is a preventative health and wellness company that's been called the Uber of preventive medicine and was named the best technology company in the healthcare space in 2019. US Drug Test Centers is a nationwide network of over 20,000 testing centers in the US and is revolutionizing drug and alcohol testing across the nation. Dr. Bakhtari has always believed that helping others was the ultimate achievement in life. Welcome someone who combines preventative health with tech entrepreneurship, Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to SAS Fuel. Oh, welcome for having me. I'm so excited. Well you live at the intersection of healthcare and technology and uh, tell me about that journey and how you got to to where you are today.
0: Uh you know uh, obviously I was a, I'm a physician and I went you know through medical school residency and fellowship and uh eventually branched out to administrative medicine and then subsequently got into you know sort of entrepreneurship and it was really that experience in medicine looking at healthcare technology That allowed me to have a window into technology in general. And so when we started our companies, we really focused on technology because I think there's a lot of times people, you know, who start up a company and they just think customer service is going to be the differentiator. And of course, of, of course, customer service is you can't live without it, but I really don't think customer service alone is a strategy. You know, it's you you're going to have to bring something to the table that makes your clients' lives easier, provides value, and of course, without customer service, you're sunk. But customer service alone is not going to differentiate you and really make an impact on the people you're serving, which is, you know, your clients as well as, you know, your staff.
1: Right, right you hear that all the time as a differentiator? Will it service us? Well, everybody says that but I mean really, I mean, is it a differentiator? and I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's important, but it is certainly not something that that sets most companies apart. Yeah, I think I think people think you know we're going to be the one hundredth you know
0: accounting firm and we're going to kill it by providing great customer service, which if you're the one hundredth accounting firm in a city. Yeah, customer service may take, you know, I don't know why I'm picking accounting, but just you can <laughs> fill in you can fill in the blank.
1: Sure, sure.
0: Yeah. So yeah, well, I, I think I think it's important to understand you need to bring something else to the table.
1: Yes, without a doubt. So what is that in your business? What is it that sets you apart? How do you stand out in a crowded market?
0: Well, again, we have, a, you know, E7 Health and U.S. drug test centers, and now we're rolling out, um, U.S. Uh, TPA gateway. And again, what we try to do is leverage technology to reduce friction for our clients, for our patients, and for our staff. So our staff is really spending the most amount of time with the patients, the clients, and not, you know, doing a lot of just busy work to set up accounts, run accounts, follow up on accounts. All, all that can be automated. So, you know, uh, if you really want super duper great customer service, you know, have your staff, you know, eliminate all the busy work, you know, inputting stuff, you know, have things auto populate and things being pushed without someone having to manually do it. And when you automate a lot of stuff, it allows your staff to focus on what's really important, which is helping the clients as well as their own job satisfaction. Sure. You know, I think I think we, we've, we you know, there's, you know, if you look at, you know, the old factory assembly line where people are doing the same thing over and over all day long, you know, anything resembling that is not very fulfilling anymore. And to give people autonomy, creative juice, and, you know, let them focus on higher level issues, uh, I think had leads to, you know, staff retention, staff happiness, and more productivity, which then all then translates into the clients being more happy.
1: And that makes a lot of sense, because I hear it a lot, and whether it's nurses or doctors, I mean, they spend all the time going to a medical school, and, and really, they want to take care of people, and then they get into practice, and it's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of administrative overhead, and that's and not what they love. And so what yeah, you're doing is really kind of removing that and letting them focus on what really matters. Right. And
0: of course, we're doing just we've gone beyond healthcare. But yeah, I, on my
1: podcast last year, I reviewed several
0: research articles on one of my shows where it looked at the amount of time a primary care doctor spent looking at a screen during a patient visit versus the patient. Yes. You know, I'll have to refer back to my own uh, podcast, but it was something like 80% of the time they're spent on the computer. Wow. And so, does that really make sense? I mean, they should be looking eyeball to eyeball and trying to feel you out and really understand you know what your issues are and you know uh anyone who's been in healthcare or any kind of service industry, you know a lot of times people don't always say what's really on their mind, so you have to look at their body language you know the the way they express themselves and I think you know if you're spending all your time, no matter what field you're in, you know, not focus on the client, but your focus on getting the process done. You know, that's um, kind of like a DMV kind of thing. So you you gotta really uh, figure out ways to let your staff, you know, be there and serve the client.
1: And so you have E Seven Health. You have the drug testing. Is, is it U.S. drug tests? U.S. Drug Test Centers is a
0: nationwide drug testing company, and we're rolling out USTPA Gateway, which is a platform and a software. So that's our yeah, third company.
1: Tell me company. about that. You know, SaaS platform. Yeah, cool. SaaS
0: platform. Um, currently, you know, uh, for companies who do drug testing, and let's say they have offices all around the country and they want to do, you know, pre-employment drug testing, Uh, or random drug testing or any kind of program that may have, or a regulated drug testing program like the Department of Transportation requires. And if there are multiple states, often they have to sign contracts with different providers in every state. What we've created is a platform where up to 20,000 collection centers are connected to our platform and clients can hop onto this platform. Literally, you could order like 20,000 drug tests the same day at 20,000 locations for 20,000 employees on the same day, and the uh, employee will get a link where they can just show up and show a donor pass. They don't have to make an appointment, they don't have to give any money, and the results will automatically come back to our platform to the company or the client. Uh, so th- that's what we call the US TPA gateway, and we're currently on it ourselves as a TPA, as a third-party administrator, But we're going to open it up to other TPAs who want to uh, have this sort of uh, A to Z platform to run their drug testing TPA uh, company off of. So we're going to offer that essentially as a SaaS because they're going to be running their own company, charging their own clients, and we're just going to provide them with the platform.
1: That's brilliant in being able to do that and really roll it out to a much larger market than just using the technology yourself.
0: Right. It's interesting because I think, um, you know, it's one of those blue ocean kind of things because there's really nobody who's really done this on any meaningful way. There are other platforms that use a lot of, you know, duct tape, spit and glue and, you know, kind of do it, but there hasn't been a full enterprise solution. Now certain large employers have developed their own, but they retain that within, you know, their company, but as something that Any TPA can hop onto, they wouldn't have the bandwidth or potentially the finances to create their own platform. So we've created it for them so they can just hop on and run their uh, third party administrative company right off of our platform.
1: And so I sense a theme here of, you know, making things a lot easier because, you know, we've been through this process and, and as an employer, as an employee years ago, and it's, it's not an easy process normally. And so it yeah. sounds like, you know, you're doing the same thing in making it where it's super easy, not only for the employers, but the employees, where, you know, it it's you know reduces all the friction of yeah. making that happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we've even got to the point where, you know, the employee can get a link and they can actually schedule it at the location they want to go to. So uh, you know, if there's twenty locations and you know, um, Memphis, and one is closer to work, One's closer. they can actually pick their own location where they want to go to have their testing done. So we put in a lot of stuff to make it easy for the employers, for the employee, uh, and for the people who have to manage the data. You know, one of the interesting things that people don't talk about, they keep talking about, like, in hiring, the cost of, you know, doing background checks and drug testing. But to manage the data and have it at your fingertips, you know, 10, 15 years ago, so you get faxed the results and you have to file it away somewhere. So right. the, what our system also does is it handles the, the it becomes the repository for all the data. So there's no need to then have a separate system where you have all those records stored internally in your, in your house. It's on our platform in the cloud, so you can access it whenever you want.
1: That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to have those big filing cabinets and try and keep up with the paperwork, especially with some of the information on it and HIPAA requirements. Right. It, it can get messy fast. Right, right. And, this, and of
0: course, people, companies spend a lot of money trying to stay compliant and take precautions. And if we can take some of that work away from companies, clients, it's a, it's a
1: real win. So you really approach technology from a very different place than most other companies. Because you've been there, you, you came up you know, as a physician. You you've been in administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you approach it very differently than you know somebody that you know maybe has an MBA and is writing software for healthcare. Yeah, <laughs> well, I,
0: it's true, but I think you know practicing medicine, so seeing what the doctors and clinical medicine is all about, and what patients are going through, and then being a professor and teaching medicine to students and uh, residents and interns. And then being an administrator, both on the hospital side and on the insurance side, you know, gives gives me a perspective that hopefully allows me to have a satellite perspective of of the global issues that we need to tackle. Because whenever you have any system where four or five parties are involved, insurance carriers, hospitals, the patient, the doctor, the medical plan, you know, you have to understand what drives and what's the motive for each party to try to address a, sol- a technology solution that kind of takes that into account but more importantly tries to figure out solutions to make it easier for the patient and the staff provide quality while you know i don't want making i don't want to say those things are secondary but making your insurance company and hospital and whatever secondary to providing you with great quality and you as the patient or the client with access making that equal priority As opposed to just being worried about making sure, you know, the maximal reimbursement is done from Medicare or the maximal reimbursement is done from Blue Cross. That's important, but we have to take care of the patient and provide quality.
1: It seems like a lot of solutions are kind of written that way. It's it's really from the provider perspective or from, you know, even it's it's about the dollars and maximizing reimbursements instead of really kind of patient experience. Right. Not
0: to say that they don't take that into account, but, you know, I, I always joke, like, if if a software company came to a, to a doctor's group or a hospital and said, well, you know, we've got this new electronic health records, it's going to, you know, improve uh, patient experience, the amount of time they're filling out forms is going to improve the doctor's experience. However, your Medicare reimbursements will go down 5%. It's a non-starter. So, right. You, right. So, so, yeah. So reimbursements become such, such an important part that that takes, and you know, writing software. One of the things I've learned in, in being involved with our team that writes software is you can only have certain priorities. I mean, yes, you can say, well, we want to accomplish all four, but sometimes one or two in that software becomes the driving force with the other ones, you know, Giving, getting attention, but, you know, the priority, the prime directive is, you know, this or that. So, you know, you may have an e-commerce site and your primary thing is make sure those transactions go smoothly. But in terms of, let's say, providing information or other stuff, it may not be so good, but you could, you know, sometimes they they, they don't contradict, but you can only, you know, often have one and not as much as the other, depending on the exact code and how the technology is set up.
1: Everything can't be the highest priority, right? Right, right. and I think, yeah. And <laughs> you know,
0: we like to think the patient's quality should be the number one uh, priority. Uh,
1: and then, then we'll do the best we can for the rest of the stuff. Right, right. Uh, I think that's really interesting. What have been the challenges that you've experienced in you know, building the, the companies and particularly the SaaS product?
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, having a product that works for us um, is interesting because on one hand, it gives us an advantage because imagine like you're a, you know, restaurant and you write a software for restaurants. Well, because you're a restaurant, you know what that software should include, right? So I think we have an advantage there, but the disadvantage is we're writing a platform that other restaurants are going to hop on to. And how we do it may not necessarily, you know, how we think, if you're going to have a a basically a neutral platform, you know, your own sort of idiosyncrasies have got to be addressed and say, well, that kind sure. of is how we do it, but we can't write a software just for how we like to do billing or how we like to do different aspects of the business. So, I think In writing a SaaS, especially since we're our own client, you know, we're the first client on our platform. I think it, you know, as we talk to our developers and we talk about how, how to provide more features, we have to be careful not to provide the features that we like or we need, but just to think about the generic client.
1: Right. So it's not about making it where it fits your process, but you make it where it's, it really is adaptable to other people's processes as well. Right. And I think
0: early on, maybe that wasn't so apparent, but it's
1: becoming apparent as we've been going through it. So how is it moving from being you know, in in healthcare and in administration and then moving into technology and, and leading technology companies? You know, I
0: think the biggest challenge is you need to acquire skill sets that you didn't have, and to acknowledge that. You know, I think of people like, well, if I'm a good doctor, I'll be a good CEO or a good administrator. If I'm a good administrator, for sure, I'll be a good CEO, and uh, or if I'm a CEO of a small company, for sure, I'll be a good CEO of a larger company. Um And I can see how you might fall into that trap, but you need to get skill sets, new skills, as you. You know, move on in terms of managing an organization, you know, how you mentor and motivate people, how you recruit, how you retain, how you compensate, uh, you know, how you troubleshoot. It's not intuitive necessarily. You know, it's like, you know, if I could do it, it's like taking out an appendix. You can't intuitively know how to do that. You, know, you can't intuitively, <laughs> you can't intuitively know how to land a 747. Right. I mean, you know, put me and you in a cockpit. Uh, I don't know about you, but certainly me, you know, there's no chance that plane's going to, you know, land correctly, you know, and so I think people look at leadership skills. I'm a nice guy. I get along with people. People respect me for sure. I'll be a good leader. Yes, that's probably true, but you also need to acquire skills. So you may be very musically inclined. However, taking piano lessons will really take you to the next level. So I think understanding and acquiring skills is important and not to say it's all intuitive because, you know, I'm just, I'm just a good, you know, people like me. I'm a good guy, which may, you know, may or may not be the case, but not to say that's enough. Keep going. And so how have you acquired those skills? Yeah, well, a lot of it is a school of hard knocks, to be very frank with you, because transitioning for from physician in, in terms of that. Uh, But then also, you know, I think I learned early on to surround myself with mentors and consultants who know more than me and, you know, getting in the position where it, once you really respect and trust someone who is in an area that, you know, you're just starting to get into. Is, to, you know, to, to really be able to, um, if I can say just shut up and listen, you know, just, um, you don't want to be the smartest guy in every room. That's definitely not the way to right. go. If you, if you want to acquire those skills, you know, you just have to understand, uh, you know, I, I give this analogy all the time, but you know, if I, if I met Michael Jordan, I wouldn't tell him how I shoot the ball because it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right, I, right. I should, right. I should just be asking him, well, tell me more and tell me more. So again, so if you're, if you're around a Michael Jordan or, and, and I mean, that's kind of high fluting, but if you're around someone who knows more than you, you know, I don't think that's the time to give your take on it because they've been doing it for 20 years. I, I don't know what your, your take on it means if you're just getting into it. So yeah, I mean, later on, once you, you know, get some of those skills, you may have an opinion. But early on, just understand that if you found these mentors or consultants, you know, just shut up and listen. And, and you know, that doesn't mean every mentor is the right mentor, it doesn't mean every consultant, sure. the consultant, but if you do feel like you've got the right person, to just be quiet.
1: So what role have mentors played in your success? A lot, I would say a lot,
0: a lot, lot, lot. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if I should drop names, but again, they've been all sort of leaders in the industry that we're in. And, you know, I spent, uh, you know, one, I, you know, still, I actually retain as a consultant, but it's become a dear friend. But, you know, I think part of it is really going to conferences, seeking out sort of the Michael Jordans of, of whatever industry you're in. One of the tricks I did really early on I signed up, I signed up for as many conferences that were like the big national conferences, whether it was in drug testing or, you know, some of the healthcare technologies. And I would go to, I would like look at the courses. This was a long time ago and I would see who's like does, is doing like an introduction to the industry or something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, and then you could hear their talk and then you would just realize, Oh my gosh, the, the, like 25 years of experience right there. And, you know, why should I f- figure this out when there's this man or woman there that has been living it for 25 years? So, you know, to, to, and then I remember like even after one course, just going up to the person saying, Hey, you know, that was an amazing talk. You know, I love to, you know, uh, figure out, you know, how I could learn more from you and what things you do and, uh, you know, consulting or what have you. And, uh, you know, just went out for drinks, uh, you know, during the conference and struck up a friendship and, you know, and, uh, that was the way to go. So, you know, I really tell people, um, if you're starting out, go one way just to go to a lot of the major conferences and seek out, you know, usually the Michael Jordans of whatever industry you're looking for are pretty obvious. They, you know, they all have similar qualities. They're all modest. They'll never tell you that the Michael Jordan of their industry and they have a sort of a humble, I just simultaneously, I mean, the three or four people I'm thinking of, very humble, uh, and giving and not, not wanting to like, you know, why well, can't provide you any information until you sign this consulting agreement? Right. Right. Uh, I mean, so you got it. That usually is a bad sign, but you know, people who say, yeah, you know, let's, let's go out for dinner or let's, let's talk. And, and then you actually want to pay those people and you really want to sign them up because you know, like, Oh my gosh, you know, and, and, it's genuine. It's not like an act to get you to become a client. They will give out information to anyone who asks. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to see. Yeah. So I don't know if that helps people listening, but, uh, we found that to be a really
1: cool way. That's fantastic. Well, tell me about your podcast.
0: Yeah. So, um, so last year was our first year of our podcast, where we just sort of did the inside scoop on healthcare. And the goal of that year was to tell you stuff that was, you know, inside the locker room, what doctors are really thinking, what hospitals are really thinking. And I really enjoyed that. And we, we really liked the production level. It was really good. We're just in the process of launching season two. And season two is kind of interesting because it kind of relates to what you asked me earlier, you know, how I learned my stuff and I told you from making mistakes and what have you. And so we are going to, you know, season two is going to be focused and we call it uh crash CEO school. Love that. Uh, Okay. And it's really (laughs) all the mistakes you could possibly make your first, you know, few few years, five years. And, you know, why make them if you can just learn uh, from others? So uh, and the reason I, I bring that we decide to go with that is because when I get interviewed, that's often where people go to, like, you know, like you ask the question yourself. And so I said, well, everyone asked me that question. You know, why not instead of just giving yeah. it out on someone else's show, which I'm only, you know, just a little slice, why not do a whole season of it? Sure. So uh, that's how we actually came up with that idea.
1: It's a brilliant concept. Crash CEO School. We'll make sure and link that in the show notes. And yeah, it's, Baktari,
0: it's on our podcast, Bactari MD, but that's what the second season will be called. Bactari MD on
1: YouTube and uh, Spotify and what have you. And that should be on the next few weeks. That's great. So what do you think the, the greatest risks and the greatest opportunities are in the healthcare space today? well um, healthcare in general or healthcare technology um i, I can talk about both let's say healthcare in general
0: yeah i think i think the biggest problem in healthcare that i'm sure everyone has noticed but maybe they don't know what it is they're noticing is you know healthcare consolidation you know just like the you know just like there was 15 airlines 15 years ago now there's four uh and just like there was 10 15 cellular phone companies 10 15 years ago now there's four uh you know, with uh equity firms and Wall Street buying up healthcare systems, practices, hospitals buying practices. I saw this stat that, you know, I think uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 25% of doctors were employees. Now 75% of doctors are employees. And that goes to this consolidation. So I think, you know, if you like what's happened to You know, your cellular phone service in the last 10 years, the direction that's gone or the, you know, the service you're getting from the airline industry, you know, over the last, you know, compared to 10, 15 years ago, you get a sense of what's probably is happening and is going to happen. You know, when you get consolidation, the first thing that suffers is service. So I think that's really, that's really the troublesome part. You know, you know, weeks and weeks to get to see a doctor. Uh, you know, often you don't, can't choose your own provider. You know, you can see the doctor one day, nurse practitioner the next day, another doctor the next time. And it's kind of a, uh, and also, you know, just trying to call a doctor's office and you get this, you know, barrage of phone things you got to go through, you know, press one, press two, press three, press two, and then press one, right. press two, this whole shenanigans. It, it really screams, you know, healthcare consolidation on a high satellite level. So what are the opportunities for the market? Well, I th- in terms of addressing the healthcare consolidation, I think people, you know, who can provide, you know, a product that addresses the shortcomings of healthcare consolidation, personalized service, attention, uh, you know, wor- worrying about quality, worrying about patient's experience, worrying about what the patient's thinking, what their needs really are, uh, what their concerns are. you know. Um, there's a statistic, for example, when it comes to patient care, that one third of all primary care visits are for reassurance. I mean, you could wow. say that, you could put that in many different ways, but basically means one third of the time, and I don't want to, I hope this doesn't come off wrong because uh, let me clarify it, but one third of the time there's nothing wrong, right? The patient just wants to see the doctor so the doctor or the healthcare provider can say that there's nothing wrong. Right. Right. They just want to hear it. Or, yes, or, or maybe they're depressed, but you know, they're presenting as a physical symptom. They're hoping the doctor will figure out that they're depressed or upset. Or I think if you're changing providers every visit, if you're spending 80% of the time looking at the screen, I think those one third visits will probably not be optimal. And so there lies the challenge because Providing healthcare is not like serving up a dish in a restaurant. I mean, the product is the interaction, right? And the product is, you know, what you can give the patient and how much attention you can give them and how focused you can be on them. And the efficiencies, you know, with consolidation don't necessarily address that. No, they don't,
1: and I think you're you're right on that. That continuity of care is is definitely gone down because every time you're seeing somebody different, then it's kind of you're starting over again. Yeah, kind of it's the same yeah. story. They can read the chart, but that doesn't tell them everything. Right, right. In fact,
0: you know, the, I, I mean, you can almost see uh, if you watch older movies and stuff where someone goes to see their primary care doctor, and you know, he says, "Well, you know, Bill." Uh, normally, you know, I wouldn't do anything, but I know this will be, you know, I know you and I know this is going to bother you. So let's go ahead and get the x-ray. You know, th- that, that yeah. like, normally I wouldn't get an x-ray, but Bill, I know you. I, you know, we've known each other for 10, 15 years. I know that, or, or vice versa. Bill, I, you know, I know you're, you know, usually you don't want to get testing and I know you're averse to it. But Lex, in this case, I really think we should get it I, despite I know how you normally feel. All of those interactions are gone. No, no one is saying, "Bill, I know you," and because of that, this is what I'm thinking. How, how can they say that?
1: Right. Well, some doctors are just because of the the environment they're in. It's thirty, forty, fifty, sixty patients they have to see a day, and that's that's the norm. Right. Plus, they haven't. You know,
0: maybe that you know, it's the only time they're going to see you, and then then there'll be another provider and. How can you develop the rapport and relationship? I mean, even think about your rapport with your accountant. You know, they know how aggressive you want to be on your taxes, how non aggressive you want to be. You know, what, what keeps you up at night versus their other clients? I think you lose some of that if you don't have continuity. Is there a way to bring that back? Well, I think there's efforts. I mean, you know, I think the concierge thing is, is an effort to address that. There's a couple of other models, uh, to address that. But, you know, it really often the pendulum has to swing so far that the value of providing stuff like that becomes more clear. You know, you look at, uh, you know, England and other countries where, you know, it's a government system and, you know, there's a whole undercurrent of private system that you know, we'll find some. So it depends. But yeah, sometimes it has to get really bad before uh, the the value of providing an alternative is obvious. So what's your take on
1: some of the concierge services?
0: You know, uh, I like them. I mean, I think obviously there's a barrier to entry because of the finances. So, you know, for your typical person, it may not, you know, be an option. So while I think it has a role, I, I think the barrier to entry is somewhat of a challenge. But what they do is, you know, they spend a lot of time with you. You get an hour-long visit, and the doctors really care about, you know, stuff that they normally wouldn't get to in a 10-minute visit. Uh, so in that sense, it's, it's good. I just don't know how scalable that is for the general population.
1: Yeah, I wonder about that as well. I mean, I, I do that and and love it. It's it's a great experience, but mm-hmm. it is it's it's not cheap and it's not mm-hmm. you know for the masses. So I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, where is the healthcare going to go? You know, longer term, is that going to be the direction? Is it going to be a single payer system? And then just like in the UK, you have the the private health mm-hmm. outside of that. It, it's really interesting. Yeah, um,
0: I I think it is interesting. I, I think you know in terms of. Educating people, I think, you know, this the current system with its, you know, sort of HMO style model of just being very efficient, whatever. You know, often you don't notice the weaknesses on their program until, God forbid, you or someone is really sick, and then you you get to see it. So it's all good and fine when you're just going in for a cold or a flu here and there. It's the the real shortcomings of the system often. Present itself when you, God forbid, you know, you or someone else is it, it has a, a real serious issue, then you can see, OMG, yeah, this is this is not optimal. So I think it's it's like anything else, you know, when the pendulum goes so far, there'll be a backlash and there'll be opportunities for people to to create other ways uh, that you know addresses some of those shortcomings.
1: Well, where can we learn more about you and about E Seven Health, about U S. Drug Testing Centers? and USTPA yeah. online. Yeah,
0: yeah. so the great place is Uh So that's our website. Also on YouTube, bakhtarimd, if you want to watch our podcast. I'm also available on LinkedIn if you want to reach out to me. If anyone has any questions, if I can be of help or a company can be of any help to anyone, just reach out to us on any of those platforms and we'll get back to you.
1: Fantastic. We'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. And then- Thank you. Dr. Bhaktari, I have really enjoyed having you on the show today and very insightful.
0: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thanks again, Dr. Bhaktari, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and health tech wisdom. You can learn more about E7 Health and Dr. Bhaktari at e7health.com and, of course, DrJonathanBhaktari.com. Be sure to check out his Bhaktari MD podcast as well. As always, all links, highlights, resources, full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. You can subscribe or follow us there and check out video episodes on YouTube. It's a new channel. Everyone who subscribes this week will receive a collection of motivational fortune cookies filled with wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and endless encouragement. How about that? Join us next time on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series for Phil Alves, CEO and Principal Consultant at DevSquad. He's led the build of over 100 SaaS products, I said 100 SaaS products, you heard that right, for bootstrap founders and VC-funded startups alike. Incredible insights from someone who's been there, done that, like 100 times over. And our founder next week, so excited about this, is Nina Suri, founder and CEO of Zappa AI. It's a SaaS platform that leverages AI to assist organizations in streamlining their hiring process while eliminating bias. It's an amazing use for AI and she's got such great insights into what she's doing there. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey.
0: Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel.
1: We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.